Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. Thank you, thank you. Hey, good to see you guys. Say these words with me. Say, I love my church. Now smile and say, I love my church. And here's, I, I, here's something I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to show your love to your church by helping us together create some ownership and do some stuff to make Expand, Expand 2020 Project happen. Okay, listen carefully. Listen to me. I'm going to ask that you, in just a second for you to take a little card that I've already put on your seats. Well, I didn't put it there. Somebody else did, but I just took, I just took the... Uh, the I just, I just took the glory there. Uh, I put them on your seat. And I'm going to ask that everybody in this room find a way that you can participate because over the next several weeks, all kinds of change is going to be happening. And we need all hands on deck. All right? The guys, the, they tell us from the coffee shop that they're, they're uh, leaving the facility uh, after Wednesday. So that means next Sunday, the traffic flow is going to be different. You're not going to even know. I mean, it's going to be crazy, but we have a lot to do. So have a seat. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Grab this little card, this little crunchy card that we didn't even send it to the printers. We didn't have time to do that. We just said, let's just get a card and make it. So if it's cut crooked, you can just look at it and say, that's my, that, that's, that, that, those are the volunteers in my church that did that. So, so I want you to take one of these, these wonderful cards, cut with love, and I'm asking everyone just to put your name and phone number on there and mark one, two, three, four, five, ten, or 12 areas where you're willing to help. This is not a commitment, okay? This is not a commitment. This just lets us know where you are willing to help, where you're willing to serve, and, and, uh, and if you will mark that on there, mark that, what, what you're willing to do, Cleaning, demolition. I saw the demolition one. I'm like, yes, I want to demolish things. Uh, that that will be very brief. Because uh, because thing is, I picture a sledgehammer. I don't know if, if there are any people that just like sledgehammers, but I have all, ever since I saw my dad using a sledgehammer as a child, I said I want one of those, and I have several. Uh, painting, patching holes, taping, moving supplies, installing shelving, hosting volunteers, hauling away trash, bringing snacks, loaning tools and supplies. There'll be a lot of things that we'll need to do. Equipment install, lighting install. We need a lot of help. So our goal here, we, we, will go, we are going to be contracting out some of the work that's, that's going to have to happen by contractors, but there's other week, work that we will be doing ourselves so we can stretch these funds to take care of the, of, of, of the needs that we raise those funds for for Expand 2020. So, so hey, listen, here's the deal. You market it on there. I need for you... Actually, I'm asking everyone, be here Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Saturday morning at 10 a.m., we're having what we're calling our Expand 2020 Volunteer Rally. Saturday morning at 10 a.m. What day? What time? Right here, micro calendars right now. And and we're going to be talking about how all of this is going to work because over the next several weeks, all of this is going to unfold very, very quickly. And I want you to get your blood, sweat, and tears and and, uh, and, 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 and just invest into this facility that God's given us. All right? I'll see you when? At what time? Put it, on your, uh, put it on your calendars right now. Just do it, do it, do it. Come on, just do it, do it. While you're doing that, because you have the, do, you have the amazing ability to multitask, get your Bibles open to the book of James chapter 1, verse 19. James 1, 19. 
15. <laughs> uh, how many of you guys are familiar with Enneagram? The, the Enneagram. Oh, I'm an Enne- I've become an Enneagram fanatic. I discovered it a couple years ago, and, and we started doing it with our staff. And, and I really enjoyed learning a lot about myself. Um, I, I've, I've learned, actually the truth is, I've learned how to be, be a more solid man, uh, both spiritually and emotionally. And, and it's actually been a big help for me. It's also helped me to understand uh, and be more patient with other people. That's why I like it, because it actually helps with the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And, and, uh, and it has even worked wonders in my household, in my home home with relationships and family relationships because you kind of learn to love one another through the Enneagram a whole lot better. But but if you're not familiar with what what that is, just type in A-N-Y-G-R-A-M. No, that's not how it's spelled. It's not spelled Enneagram. But you guys can figure it out. One of the people that screamed, they'll tell you all about it. But I have taken the surveys, and those of you who understand Enneagram, I'm going to tell you what I am. You, some people ask me, some people go, what's your Enneagram number? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> do you have to ask? I am an eight, okay? I am, I am an eight. Those of you who know Enneagram, you're smiling and you're laughing at me right now. And, and some of you who are also eights, you have new compassion for me because you understand. Uh, some of you are going, yep, of course, I knew it. Yep, yep. Yeah, you didn't have to say it. But according to what Enneagram says, eights are aggressive, um, confrontational, high voltage, fiery, zestful, full throttle, and have an overabundance of intense energy. Yeah. And I was born that way. You know, it's just like, whoa. Uh, when I'm spiritually healthy, this energy actually makes me want to, like, uh, take on the world and do it. If someone says something can't be done, I just jump in and say, yeah, it can be in by God's faith, you know, with faith. But, uh, but also, here's the other side of it. Anger is the dominant emotion in an eight's life. Supposedly, because anger, according to Enneagram, supposedly because anger is so easy for an eight to access that if I'm not spiritually in control, that I can. This is according to what they say. You know, I can be too quick off the draw. I can fire off rounds at people without thinking beforehand what the consequences might entail. But the other thing is, is about eights is we don't ever see ourselves that way. We, we do not see ourselves as angry. In fact, eights are generally surprised when other people experience them as being intimidating or insensitive. I will never forget when I was 28 years old and my senior pastor had a meeting with me. He said, Tim, I need to tell you something, Pastor Tim. Some people think you are a little too intimidating and insensitive. And I'm like, what, me? I, that, that's, not, that's not possible. But that was actually the beginning of my journey toward understanding myself better and, and just watching God work in my life and in those areas. But on the flip side, on the flip side, the, they say that the eights have huge concern for justice and fairness and defending the underdog like no other, uh, no other number on the wheel. And, and eights also see themselves as very honest, straight-talking people. Eights are not afraid to go nose-to-nose with whatever life throws at them, and they have no problem just leaving everything on the field because you're fine you know, when it's all over with. And the truth is, that's actually me to a T. Those of you who are closer to me, you know that's the case. So as I'm moving into the second message in my Talks from a Father series, it makes sense that I should be sharing a message entitled, How to Get Angry. That's the title of today's message. Now, um, because if anything, an eight, 
knows how to get angry. Now, this sermon is not entitled How to Not Get Angry because that would be a boring title, all right? I mean, and so this talk from a father is actually about how to get angry. Now, I was raised in a home with three mean older brothers, a very spoiled younger sister, and yelping dogs all the time. (laughs) A little exaggeration there, but you know what? I've seen anger growing up at home, and, and I've expressed anger growing up. But here's the truth, and I, this is, this, if you get anything today, today, get this. Anger is not sin. It's, not, it, it's actually an emotion. God gives us emotions, and those emotions in and of themselves, they're not sinful. They're, they're good expressions of anger, and they're also ungodly expressions of anger, which we're gonna talk about both of those today. Unfortunately, a lot of people who are not eights, but a lot of people see it as, see anger as destructive or harmful. But really, anger um, in its purest form, it is just an intense passion. Truth be told, Christians should have passion. Christians should be passionate. But a lot of people, in fact, most people believe that anger is all wrong and that you are spiritually unfit if you become angry and that God is disappointed with you over anger. So today let's talk about how to get angry. I want you to open your Bibles now, take a look at that passage I had you you find because this is important. James chapter one, verse 19. James, he's the half-brother of Jesus Christ and he expressed it this way using the words quick and slow. Say quick, say slow. Say quick, slow, slow. I didn't say quid pro pro. No, I didn't say, no, I didn't say Qu- quick, slow, slow. Say it again, quick, slow, slow. Good, good, now you got it. You all were saying it at different times. We need to say it all together. Quick, slow, slow, ready, go. Quick, slow, slow. I've always wanted to do that, like direct. And I don't even know how to do the hands, but it felt good. All right, here it is, James 1.19. This is good. This is worth memorizing, guys. Everyone. Everyone is the first word. Everyone. That includes me, you, all of us. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen. And then it says, and we should be slow to speak, and we should be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick, slow, slow. Say it with me again. Quick, slow, slow. Basically, it essentially says, hurry up and get aggressive with your listening, but put the brakes on your mouth and decelerate the anger. Quick, slow, slow. So anger is this human emotion, and it's a human emotion that God doesn't condemn, and the Lord understands that it's going to happen. Now, the type of anger, though, that's mentioned in the scriptures that is destructive, because there's a certain type, and that it must absolutely be avoided, is found in the book of Galatians, chapter number five. It's in a listing of what is often referred to of the works of the flesh, or, uh, or the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul introduces it this way in, in Galatians five. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit which is contrary to the flesh. And then he lists several things, and and he says there's a real simple way to overcome these works of the flesh, this this type of anger being one of them, and that is to walk by the spirit. 
To walk by the Spirit means you having the Holy Spirit living and active and flowing through your life, and you're feeding your spirit with his spirit through a continual life of prayer, being in the word of God, pursuing healthy relationships, and being engaged, being locked in and engaged with what God's doing with other believers. But, but one of those works of the flesh that's listed there is called, it, it's translated this in the New International Version, fits of rage. That's actually the Greek term thumos. You're going to learn some Greek today. There's just one word there. Uh, here's what that means, though. It means inflammatory rage, exploding anger, turbulent commotion, boiling agitation, impulsive outbursts of hot anger as a settled habit. Think of this as like a volcano. That's actually the best picture of this sinful type of anger. And, and when you look closely at this definition, and I want you to get this today because this is real important, you'll see that the sinful type of anger is its rage. It's this explosion. It, it's a type of anger that, that causes uh, uh, turbulent commotion wherever you go. This anger is a boiling agitation. I love these, love these words here. It, it, it's this impulsive outbursts of, of hot, boiling anger. And it's also a settled habit. That's just the way you do it. I'm telling you guys, now that is sin. That's evil. When I was studying this term thumos, I like to see how it's used throughout the New Testament also. And I found it's, it's used six times in the New Testament. But one of those, it's found in the book of Revelation. And I was curious about that. Like, why would I see this word in the book of Revelation? And but I, as I jumped into it and I began to read about it, it's talk, it talks about the type of anger that Satan expresses. It's thumos. It says in Revelation that at the end of time, uh, this is actually going to be the characteristic behavior of Satan at the very end, which I believe we're in the end of time, where Satan behaves and unleashes his fury on the world with this thumos because he knows that his time is short. He's about to be cast into the lake of fire and his hold on God's creation is about to end. And so he unleashes his fury with fits of rage and it flows through people. Now, think about that because I do believe we're at the end of time. And, and I, I, I do not want my actions and my emotions to be equated or motivated by the work of Satan. No way. No way. So here's my challenge. Be angry without losing control. Hear me well. It is not okay to be destructive, to verbally, uh, verbally um, brutalize someone or physically injure someone out of anger. Remember, quick, slow, slow. There's a healthy balance for anger. Again, it, it's, it's not wrong for your emotional temperature to rise. That's not wrong. In fact, there are occasions that should stir up anger. In fact, I'll go so far as to say anger, it's not just an emotion. It's not just that it's not a sin. Anger is a gift from God. Anger is actually part of God's nature and it flows from his holiness and his love because when God uh, observes the destructive nature of sin, he gets mad. 
And since God made us in his image, and like I talked about last week, we're his children, we're his kids, we're in his family, it is logical, therefore, that we will also express anger at injustice, because God is angry when there's injustice happening with his children. So I've created a definition for I think this is a good working definition for anger, and uh, I want you to get this and write this down because I, I, I put it this way. Anger is an emotion that arises when we encounter what we perceive to be wrong. That's actually a very clear definition of what anger should be. If you define anger as a rage that, that injures and afflicts and destroys people like most of the people do in our culture, then I will just say this. Your definition of anger is wrong and it is based upon committing a sin through anger. Often uh, when a person has experienced violence or abuse and then they encounter someone in the community or wherever that, that, that's angry, they, they literally fall apart because they associate the anger with abuse and they associate that anger with violence. And, and, and I, but I'll also tell you one, no one should ever put up with violence and abuse, ever. Hear me. Spousal abuse? child abuse, any type of relational abuse. And if you are a victim of sinful anger, you need to take action. I challenge you to do that now. Because anyone who gets angry and becomes violent and abusive, they must be dealt with by someone who is more powerful than them immediately. You need to get help. A lot of ways to do that in our culture. Talk to me. I'll point you in the direct, right direction, but I won't drag my feet either. But I'm encouraging you regarding anger is to, to get angry using self-control. See, it's all about controlling the temperature of your anger. Um, a, a great way to engage self-control is by, again, using your ears. You control your temperature by being quick to What? Listen, because listening is one of the most important keys to anger control, self-control with anger. Uh, remember, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Say it with me, quick, slow, slow. And your anger needs to be directed, and it needs to be directed, and, and, and it should really be a, uh, it should really have a result, which is justice. In general, I, I believe that we should be angry when we see someone who has power taking advantage of someone who has less power. That could be with discrimination, abortion, abuse, neglect. And when hell and sin causes adverse effects on people's lives, I'm telling you what, that is what makes God angry. And we should get angry about it too with God. But not angry at them <laughs> angry about the injustice. Do you see that? In this case, a wrong triggers anger, and that anger should motivate you toward justice. Now think about it. Should we be angry when defenseless unborn children are killed? Yeah. Should we get angry when blacks or Jews are mistreated because of their ethnicity? Absolutely. Should we, should we get angry when children are starving in this world? Yeah. Should we get angry when people are being trafficked and bought and sold like commodities? You bet. 
but it doesn't mean, <laughs> this is important, it doesn't mean to get violent, to overthrow with rage, start a riot, okay? Because what you need to do is to let that anger motivate you toward positive action, justice. Here, here's the problem with anger. We, we waste our anger. We blow it. We just waste it in all the wrong places. We waste it on long lines at the store. You waste your anger because the dishes aren't done. You waste your anger because your food wasn't spiced correctly at the restaurant. And you waste your anger because you didn't find a right parking space at the grocery store. What a waste of energy. What a waste of emotion. What a waste of passion. Stop that nonsense. Years ago, I was challenging people to get angry about injustice and I had a really nice person come up to me after the service and said, well, pastor, you need to understand I don't believe Christians should ever become angry. We should always just be peaceful and pray. Well, of course we should be peaceful and pray. I, I, I'm all into that, but, but anger is not the antithesis of peace. It isn't the opposite. Here's the question I'll ask back to you, should you want to ask me that question. So I'll just go ahead and give you the question in advance so you don't have to talk to me after church. Is it Christian to remain passionless when we witness horrific wrongs? I would say no. Jesus didn't, did he? Aren't we Christians like Christ? He expressed passion, he expressed anger in the face of injustice. When I was about 15 years old, I lived in Harlingen, Texas, down in the Rio Grande Valley. Dad pastored the First Assembly of God Church in Harlingen, and, and we lived about 10 blocks away. And we lived in this old, it was a pretty old two-bedroom house. And, uh, and, and out behind the house in the backyard was a small detached uh, apartment, and that's where my older brother and I lived. That was our room. We shared that room. And uh, one Saturday morning, I walked from the main house into my room, the apartment out in the backyard, and I opened the door and I saw a little boy about 11 years old who was underneath my brother's bed. I mean, his legs were sticking out and you should have seen his horrified face when he gets up and looks at me. And what did I do? I yelled, I'll never forget. I just went, what are you doing? I, I, I was about 15, you know, I, I'm telling you guys, I was angry, I was angry. He goes, man, I'm just checking things out. I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll, he danced around. He jumped up. I'm just checking things out. I'm just checking. Don't call the cops. Please, please, please. I promise I'll never do it. I'm just checking things out. Man, I promise I'll never do it again. I he, he did this whole little dance, and I was angry. He was obviously very frightened by my presence, and, and I yelled back at him in anger, and I said, this is my house. You get out. I scared that kid so bad. I said, if you ever come back to my house again, you will be so sorry. I mean, I don't know what I would do to him. I, I, but my adrenaline was pumping. I felt violated. I felt angry. I was indignant, yet I didn't sin. Okay? Why? Is because it was the anger over the injustice that was happening right there. Uh, I had the right to call the police. I probably should have. My parents kind of got upset at me because I didn't. In fact, my brother told me that evening when he got back, he said, oh, now this pile of cash on my desk that's missing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know. It was not a happy day at our house that day, but 
the intruder was in my house robbing me and my family and was violating my space and I had perfect cause to be angry. Is that not correct? All right. Now, I want to read to you a brief story of an incident where Jesus became angry. It's on the screens. It's found in John chapter 2, verse 13 also. Here it says, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. He drove off in the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, scattered the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Okay, I love to dig into passages. I don't, I don't like to just read something on the surface. I like to dig into it, and, and you may not have the time to do it, but it's part of my responsibility to do it, so I've done that for you in this. You know, at, at first glance, you might just look at this as some kind of a ridiculous act of Jesus losing his temper, right? I've heard it argued, all kinds of crazy stuff about this. This is proof that Jesus hates capitalism. I've also heard, well, God doesn't want people selling things in the church. I literally, in my the church I pastor in Missouri, we had a, some, a t-shirt table, some, some person came in and turned it over and said, that's what Jesus wants to do to you. And I said, no, you need to go somewhere else to church. And so they, they did. But I don't believe those things are the case. I'm a theologian, so just let me tell you a little bit about this. Jesus was about 30 years old at the time when he cleansed the temple. It wasn't the first time he saw that. In fact, it wasn't like he saw it and he lost control. See, he had been seeing these sights all of his life. In fact, Last Sunday, I talked about this, where Jesus, at the age of 12, he had already recognized that the temple was his father's house. In other words, it was his house. These guys were ripping people off, stealing from people, and they were taking advantage of the weak in Jesus' own house. Jesus was ticked off. (laughs) He was angry, much like the 15-year-old version of Tim, and he yelled at the thief in the house, get out! Now, here's the problem with what was happening. The uh, Jewish religious leaders, they were teaching the people that there's only one type of money that God likes, and it's called clean Jewish money. I'm t- this is the truth. And so, and, and, and they, that was like false doctrine, but they, they taught it, and they, they enforced it. So it was also, though, uh, under the law of Moses, totally legitimate that you could purchase your sacrifice, but uh, the religious legalists were making this whole thing a lot more complicated, making you exchange money to buy temple money to do it. You could only use clean money. So if you were a foreigner coming in to do worship at the temple, you had problems because you you, you weren't carrying Jewish temple money. So the simple and fair selling of animals and the, the, for, for sacrifice was not the problem. That was encouraged in the law. These money changers had, had, had absolutely ridiculous exchange rates on a currency that nobody even understands, and plus the price to purchase the sacrifice was so extreme, and it was crazy. So it was like price gouging at its very worst in order to do worship. Jesus felt violated. It was wrong, and it was thievery. And these people had traveled from other countries to come to his father's house, to come to his house to worship Without the sacrifice, do you realize their entire trip would have been in vain? They wouldn't have been able to do their worship. 
So they had no choice. They had zero choice but to submit to the wicked price gouging and the unfair exchange rates of the the currency in Jesus' own house. And he felt such anger regarding this fact that these non-Jews are being treated poorly, and so he did what he did. He was not going to put up with racism and gouging in his own house of all places. Do you get it? So you see the picture now. Understanding this, Jesus had no choice but to cleanse his own temple. He wasn't throwing a fit. He was expressing anger without sinning. In fact, Paul distinguishes between anger and sin. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not even let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Think about that scripture, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. I mean, do you want to give Satan access to your life? Well, if you do, here's a good way to do it. Then just go ahead and seethe with anger. Let the magma build up inside of you and go to sleep and dream about it and ruminate about it and let all that happen. But while you're sleeping, please understand you have just invited the devil in to establish a foothold in your life. And that, my friend, is dangerous. Some of you have done that. Today's your day of deliverance. Today's your day to get set free. Here's some advice. If you, if you feel anger rising up, it's usually, if not always, a good idea to not act on your initial impulse, especially if there's no injustice happening. Yeah, I felt it the other day. I was at Walmart, and I pushed my cart over to the men's restroom. I went into the restroom and used the restroom real quick and came out, and just as I was walking out, some big guy about twice my size grabbed my shopping cart and started walking away with it. And I said, it's okay, you can go ahead and have it. He said, oh, so that's yours. Well, why don't you take your cart with you into the bathroom then next time instead of leaving it out here because you deserve that. Well, I'm going to fight you for the free cart that I could walk 10 steps over and get another one. You know, it's like, why do that? Stop inviting the devil to establish a foothold in your life. That, my friend, is a dangerous thing. Swallow your words. Walk away. Take time alone with God to depressurize and let your, pro- let your anger be processed. Remember, quick, slow, slow. Solomon said this, wisest guy who'd ever lived next to Jesus Christ. He said, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. See, giving full vent to your rage is not only foolish, but we do it over foolish things. And I'm telling you guys, that is sin. In fact, it's impossible to be angry like that and bring calm, but you can bring peace through anger when there's justice involved. Even Jesus, when he was dis- disrespected and insulted and tortured during his crucifixion, he didn't lose it. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus controlled his anger because he had compassion toward those who were retaliating against him, who were crucifying and mocking him with no cause, and he simply trusted his father that that God, the father, was going to make all these things right. In fact, it's very liberating to actually do this. The next time you're verbally attacked, try doing this. It's, It's liberating and it's therapeutic, and it's kind of fun. 
In fact, I've said it out loud several times. I just said, well, you know what? I just say it with a smile. Well, I'm going to entrust myself to the God who judges justly. Now, most people do not know what to say. And most people, I'm telling you, most people in that time, they go, <laughs> and it fizzles. So when, but if you get angry, you're just losing control. As a follower of Jesus, I'm telling you, we need to let his passion flow through us. Because our anger is actually at the very heart of who we are. You want to know what's important to you or what you really care about? Look at what you get angry about. That's a good self-test. Here's my challenge. Is allow your anger to focus on injustice and hatred, selfishness, and abuse. Because if you have the passion and life of Jesus flowing through your veins, you are already charged to make a difference in this world. It's in your family blood. So stop wasting your anger. I'm not asking you to be ugly or hateful by any means. I'm, a, I'm asking you to allow the passion heart of Jesus to be made manifest in you because somebody out there is suffering. There's injustice and there's hatred and there's selfishness and there's abuse that's happening and somebody just needs to get angry enough to do something about it for the people who are hurting. That, my friend, is how to get angry. I don't want any movement in the room at this time, please, and I want you to focus your eyes internally because some of you, first of all, you might be here today and you've not completely surrendered your life to Christ. Possibly you've drifted from relationship with God and around here, we talk about Jesus and if you want to know this Jesus that I talk about, you want a new beginning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond by simply lifting your hand. Knowing this is that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine and he died for you so that you can have life and life to the full and today it's time to live you want to be included in this closing prayer, make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Surrender your life to him. I'm going to ask you to do this simple act. At the count of three, lift your hand high for me to see so I can connect my faith with yours. We will pray and everything will change today. Will you please do that? One, two, three. Lift your hand if that's you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you lifted your hand... I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you, along with everybody else in this room, to please stand. Stand all across this room. I'm going to ask you to pray these words with me. I'm also going to ask that everybody else in this room pray these words too as an encouragement to those who are making things right with God right now. Come on, pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. It's time for me to live. So I turn away from my past and I embrace the future that you have for me, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to say this. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to God's family. Hey, we celebrate your decision here today. Two challenges. Number one is right after the service, I want you to take that uh, Next card, mark it, the decision you made on there today, and take it over to Next so I can be in touch with you regarding Next Steps. I want to give you a Bible also. Second thing I want to do is I want to uh, challenge you to be in church for the next six months. Just be here. 
In fact, I, I challenge you to be here on Saturday to build some relationships. You want to get to know people in our church? You want to get to some relationships? Be here on Saturday. Relationships don't happen just by the one-minute meet and greet. It happens by us doing stuff together. But before we go here, I'm going to pray one more prayer. I, I, I want to pray a prayer regarding the breaking of a spirit of rage and a breaking of, 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 of attitudes of misdirected anger, all right? I want us to pray for that right now. I don't know whether that's you or not, but if it is, receive right now. I want, come on, everybody get in receiving mode. I want to pray over you right now. In the name of Jesus, I come against a spirit of rage, rage that is destructive and that harms. I come against that in the name of Jesus and say, go, get out, get out in Jesus' name. Misdirected anger, this constant anger going in the wrong direction. God, we say no more, no more. In fact, just repent of it right now. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for misdirected anger. I'm sorry for boiling rage. No more of that. No more of that in my life. Come on. No more of that in my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray the people of this church will walk in righteous anger. Walk by the Spirit. Being fed by the Spirit. Nurtured by the Spirit. And growing in the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.